Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Wednesday, June 22nd, and today, Bill Cohan joins the show to talk about the delicate dance between Wall Street and Joe Biden as the president struggles to get a handle on inflation and prevent a recession. And Biden says he's been talking about all of it with Larry Summers, the economic wise man who apparently has every Democratic president on speed dial. And later on, Tina Wynn stops by to discuss a recent poll showing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and a potential Democratic challenger, Charlie Crist, running neck and neck, and what that could mean for a possible DeSantis presidential bid in 2024. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad Bed Cooling System is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for Powers That Be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I'm joined today by Bill Cohan, and we are not going to talk about Elon Musk. Are you cool with that, Bill? We've OD'd on Elon. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure we'll have to talk about him some other time, but we do not have to do it today. Exactly. So this is a palate cleanser. Um, So we're going to talk about something extremely sexy, which is inflation. Um, (laughs) More specifically, President Biden said he had a conversation with Larry Summers. Then he told the press a recession isn't inevitable after his conversation with the wise man, Larry. One, I want to ask you just generally, what mystical powers does Larry Summers have over uh, sort of center-left Democrats? But then two, um, how is Wall Street generally thinking about how Biden is handling inflation? With the caveat that Wall Street isn't always right, obviously, but I'm curious what your sources are saying because you know the street better than anybody. You know, Peter, my first assignment for Vanity Fair back in 2008 was writing a profile of Larry 
when he was Obama's national economic advisor in the mm-hmm. White House. And it was a time when everybody was hating on Larry. People just hated on him, hated him on him from his time as president of Harvard, hated on him, you know, what he was doing as national economic advisor. And I decided, no, I'm not going to go that route. I'm not known for my flattering portraits in writing for people, (laughs) but I decided with this, I would just find the good in Larry Summers. And so that's the way I approached that profile. And, uh, you know, I found a lot. I mean, he's kind of, he's kind of mesmerizing. He's very, very intelligent. There's a very large brain inside a large head. And he speaks sort of somewhat elliptically and doesn't answer questions directly and often doesn't look at you straight in the eye when he's answering your questions. So as a, whatever you call the center-left progressive myself, uh, I do find his uh, thoughts very uh, provocative and interesting and usually right on. And we've been in agreement that the Fed has kind of overstepped its boundaries by, you know, keeping interest rates so low for so long. He says he wouldn't have done that, uh, would have reversed course on that sooner. He called out this inflation risk as early as February of, of 2021 and has basically been pounding on that for the last year and a quarter. And now finally, the Fed are realizing in the executive branch and in Brian Congress that Larry has been right about what's been going on with inflation. It's not quote-unquote transitory. It's genuine and for real. And so you know, he's been on uh, talk shows, he's been on CNN, you know, you name it. He's definitely having his moment in the sun again. He's had many moments in the sun. I guess his appearances over the weekend where he said a recession is kind of inevitable at this point. He said it's also could be potentially mitigated if we did something about prescription drug prices, if some of the Trump corporate tax cuts were repealed. But basically, I think his view is that, yeah, a recession is kind of inevitable, and he sort of said as much. And Biden calls him up, and I think, sure, Larry just repeated what he'd been saying. And out of that, Biden, you know's uh, interpretation of that was, you know, a recession isn't inevitable, which sort of isn't contrary to what Larry was saying. But then he parroted Larry's ideas for lowering prescription drug prices and repealing the Trump tax cuts as a potential way to combat inflation. So I think Larry Larry is closer to being right, of course. I don't think there's a prayer of repealing the Trump tax cuts, certainly not with this Congress or the next one. And I'm not necessarily sure what lowering prescription drug prices will do to combat inflation, although it might do a little, but only on the margin. So, I mean, I'm not sure where all that gets us, but, you know, that's sort of where we are just pivoting slightly from Larry, but does Wall Street blame Biden for that final round of COVID stimulus for overheating the economy? Is there any sort of like agreement that there's a strategy involved in in trying to to stem inflation? I know Larry says that that stimulus program was too large and that's part of the reason we have so much inflation now. I don't think at the time a lot of people on Wall Street were being critical of that stimulus package. I (laughs) I don't remember that either. (laughs) I think they were saying, hey, look, we got a problem here. We got to solve it. I think what Wall Street really cares about is the fact that the Fed is like turned on a dime and trying to combat inflation by raising interest rates dramatically. After 13 years of 
zero interest rate policy to suddenly see two-year treasuries skyrocket, interest rates skyrocket on two-year treasuries, price tumble, the interest rates skyrocket on high-yield bonds, basically choking off lots of investment banking business. So, you know, like a year ago, the investment bankers were like, couldn't keep up with demand for their services. This year, they're like, it's tumbleweeds and crickets, you know, leveraged loan market, LBO market, private equity, corporate debt issuance, IPO market, high yield bond issuance, all moribund. Okay. So that's what bankers care about. Inflation, you know, we can debate that whether 8.6, whether it's going to be 7%, whether it's going to be in a recession or not recession. Goldman Sachs increased its recession odds. Tell me if this means anything to you, Peter, from 15% to 30% for 2023. So does that, is that going to affect your life now that knowing that Goldman Sachs thinks there's a 30% <laughs> chance of a recession? That sounds like a big jump. Okay, it's a big jump. It's a doubling. But what do you do with that information? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, nobody knows. But what they do care about is the fact that the investment banking business is falling uh-huh. off a cliff and their bonuses are going to be a fraction of what they were in 2021. And there might be... Um, you know, a fair amount of layoffs now. One thing Wall Street does is when, you know, the spigot looks like it's being turned off, they fire people. So that's what people are worried about on Wall Street. Do you get the sense that the Biden administration cares what Wall Street thinks? Larry Summers said this about a month ago, right? He sort of criticized Biden for being too beholden to the, I think it was like the hipster populist, like antitrust movement on the left, right? And Obama was another good example of this. You know, at one moment he was, you know, pitchforks out for Wall Street and the next moment he, you know, was making sure that he was on good terms with everyone on the hmm. street. And that, that feels like that's been a pattern going back to Bill Clinton. But how would you characterize the relationship between the two? I think Biden is smart enough to know that Wall Street sort of is the key to capitalism, is the key to our economy, is it has to be functioning properly. The markets have to be functioning properly or people can't get access to capital. If they can't get access to capital, then, you know, they can't take risks. They can't develop new products. They can't hire people. Can't keep the unemployment rate as low as it's been. So I don't think he's in bashing Wall Street mode. He might've been in 2008 along with Obama, but I think there's a big difference now. These problems that we're having now actually weren't caused by Wall Street. These are not Wall Street-related problems. These are problems that the Federal Reserve has fomented over 13 years, which was the point of my piece last week. If Obama had made good on his promise to Larry Summers to make him Fed chairman, I think we would not be having a lot of the problems we're having now or we're about to be facing. I think he would have pulled the plug on quantitative easing long before uh Jay Powell did. And he, you know, he would have been much more cognizant, as we know he is and was uh, about inflation and would have done things to slow that down. Larry Summers was promised the job. He didn't get it because of politics. I think Biden probably is playing politics a little bit by saying there'd be no recession. I mean, he's going to be like branded Jimmy Carter if he says there's a recession and that's not good politics. So he has to say there isn't going to be a recession, but but he's also careful not to bash Wall Street because this is not about Wall Street this time. And he doesn't say much about the Fed. 
He renominated Jay Powell, which, you know, we could argue about, but this is the Fed's doing, and that's where the blame belongs. So he's not going down either path. He's trying to walk a fine line politically here. So he took Larry's suggestions, but didn't take Larry's conclusion, which I thought was amusing. Bill, thanks so much. We'll see you soon. Presumably next time we'll be talking about Elon Musk. So it was nice to take a break. We can only hope. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello, this is Alex Bigler. And no, today is not Friday, but I am here to tell you that this Friday... I will be speaking with the one and only Eric Gardner on the Powers That Be podcast. Have a question you'd like to ask Eric? Go ahead and email it through to fritz at puck.news. Though, take it from me, he won't give legal advice, no matter how often I ask. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on Friday. Welcome back, everyone. Now let's take a quick minute to see what's going on with Tina Wynn on her beat right now. Thanks, Peter. Let's go to Florida. Let's go to the governor's mansion and see what's up with one governor, Ronald DeSantis. The big storyline coming out of Florida and DeSantis' world is that he's largely viewed as a presidential contender, probably in the future, but questionably in 24, where he could seriously go up against Donald Trump. He's saying nothing about whether he would. There's a lot of wish casting on this end. I mean, he's young. He has a long career ahead of him. But the only way he'd be able to put a case together that he should run against Trump now is if he wins re-election in November. There was recent polling from Trump's pollster, Tony Fabrizio, that suggested that the race between him and Democrat Charlie Crist is actually a lot closer than it appears to be. I think this one polling from Tony Fabrizio has... Charlie Crist up by one point over DeSantis, 47, 48. And one of the things about Crist is that 
he's a former Republican. He is a former Republican governor of Florida who in 2012 flipped and joined to the Republican Party. Uh, So he's a known quantity in the state of Florida by now. He's pretty chill with Republicans, all things told, which brings us to a really interesting problem. DeSantis has massive popularity, not just within Florida, but within the Republican Party and kind of among Republican voters nationwide. A couple of his greatest hits, opening Florida long before the CDC said it was okay to do so, repealing mask mandates for children, repealing mask mandates overall, being kind of laissez-faire about getting vaccines. His entire political governing style has always been combative, driven by a demand for personal loyalty to his agenda, or you get shanked. While this has created the environment for him to wage the perfect culture war fan fiction that the conservative activist movements long wanted, does that actually mean that he has been a popular governor? Going into this election, there is part of me that thought so. But with Charlie Crist gaining on DeSantis, you could see a little bit of a problem coming up here. Add to that that Trump really, really, really hates DeSantis because DeSantis did not do the thing Trump wanted him to do, which was say, if Trump runs, I will not run for president. I will drop out. And of course, I support our dear leader from here till the end of time. I've talked to people in DeSantis' circles for the longest time. And one of the things that keeps leaping out to me is DeSantis's utter fixation on making sure that he leaves a mark on the state of Florida and shows what sort of executive he would be if he were to go further outside of Florida. But the way that this one person who I spoke to put it to me was he needs to win this election before any other stories can be told about him. If he goes from being a somewhat unpopular governor to when the shit hit the fan during COVID, stepping up, becoming a leader, protecting families in Florida, making sure that people got to work and that old people were safe from the vaccine, but then everyone else got to party and be psychologically happy, even if they could have gotten COVID. If he had taken these highly unpopular steps, such as going to war against Disney for opposing a conservative educational mandate that prevented K through third grade teachers from teaching children about sexual orientation and gender identity, and he won, and he got reelected by a significantly popular amount, then that's a story that no one else can tell. MAGA likes winners. MAGA likes people who win great. MAGA doesn't like losers. And if he comes out of the Florida election having lost, then his career is set back, I would say, for at least five years, possibly more. Tara, in her recent column, actually made this really good point about how Trump's looking at this polling and he's not clear on whether he would endorse DeSantis or not. Two things. It's not clear whether a Trump endorsement would have any sway in this specific state if people are voting for Charlie Crist rather than DeSantis. And two, I don't know if DeSantis really wants to be indebted to Trump for any reason whatsoever. They both really hate each other. They both kind of avoid each other at all costs. Trump, for one, 
really likes talking shit about DeSantis behind his back. A Trump endorsement in this case comes with a lot of drawbacks. And I will be fascinated to see whether DeSantis goes forward. One of the signs you'll have to look out for in DeSantis' world is whether he starts changing his tune on how he portrays himself and how he portrays his relationship to Trump. And uh, ooh, in my next article coming out, which should be published today, Wednesday, I'm doing a deep dive into the DeSantis campaign organization and specifically his wife, Casey DeSantis, former TV producer, Emmy award-winning journalist, now the first wife, who is a secret weapon, not just because she has this humanizing Jackie O touch that DeSantis seems to lack because he has absolutely no charisma, but she is a television producer at heart and she knows how to package a great story. And I argue, and people around DeSantis have told me that she is one of the reasons that DeSantis's rise has been so narratively well-planned. So check it out at Puck and can't wait to tell you more about this, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.